we hear news, things that have happened uh, overnight while we have been asleep. And um, I know on, on Monday morning, I believe it was, uh, waking up and hearing that uh, the things that have happened in Paris um, have also uh, been predicted to happen here, or at least those in terrorist organizations like ISIS have said that this uh, also uh, is going to happen in New York and in Washington, D.C. And uh, just hearing all of that news, it's not a very good way to begin the week, is it? Uh, it leads us to have anxiety, or uh, especially if you live in one of those cities and you hear that news, um, I can't imagine just the, uh, the fear that develops. And I'll confess to you, just uh, in this past week, I have had that fear as well. Uh, not just, uh, I mean, I, I don't really worry too much about living here in Shreveport and uh, things happening here. But your mind begins to wonder, doesn't it? You begin to think, well, gosh, you know, what, what happens if uh, someone, um, you know, starts doing something like that here in our city? And you begin to wonder about who's really in charge. I mean, who is really, and I mean, is there anyone who's actually keeping watch to make sure that those kinds of things don't happen here? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, deep down inside, or maybe even say it, or maybe you put it on Facebook, or uh, you, you express it in some particular way that uh, we're all in big trouble. The things that have happened, you just begin to wonder, is anyone really in charge? It's a scary thought. Well, this is Christ the King Sunday. And the great reminder for us in our fear and in our anxiety and in the challenges that come to us, not just on a, a level of terrorism, but the things that come your way on a daily basis that threaten you and challenge you and worry you, can be disarmed with a recognition of what we celebrate on this Christ the King Sunday. Now, just to kind of get you in the mood for uh, what is getting ready to uh, to begin with the season of Advent, I want you to just turn to the person next to you and say, Christ is our King. Just do that, and even if you don't believe it, say it. Does that make you feel a little better? Christ is our King. And as we celebrate this today, we recognize that we do have someone that we can depend on. Uh, as the psalmist says, to you know, not trust in princes and, and not to trust in, in all of the things that go along with that and the empire, but that we have someone that we can trust in. And our scripture readings this morning, and by the way, this is the end of our, our season after Pentecost. This is the 29th Sunday, I believe, after Pentecost. And if you recall, especially as we went around with the art that's on the walls, we went from the, the annunciation of the birth of Christ all the way to the resurrection and to Pentecost. And as we celebrated that, as we looked at those, we considered what it means to have Jesus enter into our world and to live as king. He was born king and he died king, but he also resurrected as king, didn't he? And as he resurrected, he called us to be a part of what he was doing in this world. And so as we recognize on this particular Sunday, um, 
there is this, this great celebration that we have about the one who is truly in charge. And if we look back uh, at our scripture this morning that was read, not only, uh, of course, Second Samuel talks about uh, uh, the, uh, the passage there is about um, what it means to have a king. But more specifically, if you'll look in Revelation this morning, as you uh, look there in your pew Bible, in Revelation chapter 1, uh, we have a beautiful picture of someone who is in exile, someone who is feeling the longing of uh, what it means to live under the, the benevolent kingship of Jesus Christ. And uh, as we look at this, sometimes we, we choose not to read Revelation because it might scare us. Uh, if you read about beasts and uh, all of the things that we attribute to the end times and, and all of this that would go on, uh, I think if we read it uh, under the, with the eyes of history and in its historical context, we come to an understanding that it shouldn't scare us, but it ought to comfort us in recognizing what's happening. Uh, as John is full of anxiety, as he is full of fear at different times, he is looking out and, and literally looking across uh, the ocean as he is out on the Isle of Patmos, and he is thinking about Caesar. He's thinking about the emperor who has put him in confinement. He has banished him to this isle to, to be in prison because of his belief in Jesus Christ and how it challenged uh, the, uh, the Caesar of his day. And so as he is away and banished, he is full of fear. He's probably wondering, is anyone in charge? And he begins to think. And he begins to have this vision of Jesus Christ. And he begins to think about how Jesus is in charge and he has no need at all for fear. If you look back here at the, the scripture that was read to you uh, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So John is writing to these churches and he is wanting them to understand some things. And these are important words. If someone is writing to you from prison, uh, there are some important things that you want to hear. Uh, things that, that may be going on, things that, uh, that you may need to know about. And of course, they loved John and they wanted to hear these words. But he says, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Even in suffering and in exile, in confinement of prison, in the mistreatment that would take place, in the separation of being away from all of the people who loved him and from all of the comforts that he had in life when he was not in prison, in the midst of all of that, he is able to say grace and peace to you. And he is also able to express his belief in a, in a Jesus who was, but who is and is to come. John, in the midst of all of this, understands his context. But he understands the context of where God is in the midst of all of this. And he says, uh, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And uh, this is where we, uh, we have many hymns that come out of this particular verse, but also that uh, title for Jesus as being the King of Kings. And John understands it doesn't matter how many 
kings or emperors or Caesars there are in this world. And, and he, uh, and just with his people, they understood what it meant to be under captivity. Because time after time, uh, armies would come in and take them over and oppress them and enslave them and uh, keep them under their rule. But John says it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who asks me to bow down to them. It doesn't matter who claims authority over me. Because Jesus, right there, he is the faithful witness, was always faithful to God. He is the firstborn of the dead, and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Those are powerful words that John is writing. Now, if you've ever been in jail, or if you've ever been in prison, you probably didn't have wonderful words like that to express uh, your state of existence. I mean, being in jail or in confinement would be a miserable place to be. I, uh, I keep up with Richard Thuringer. Uh, Richard is, of course, one of our members, and he is in jail and uh, he hopes to get out. And every time I go visit him, he is talking about not necessarily what's taking place in jail. And I always want to know, like, what's that guy over there doing? Because, you know, you're, you're in, a, uh, in a glassed room. And because I'm clergy, uh, I don't have to use the phone where we talk back and forth. I go in there and uh, it's kind of scary going in there. You have to go through all these doors and... Um, you can see the things that are going on out there in different groups of, of guys that are around. And so I, I try to get him to talk a little bit, you know, prison talk, jail talk. What's going on in here? But he doesn't want to talk about any of that. He talks about when he gets out. John, when I get out, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go to this place and, and I'm going to uh, get another place to live. And I'm going to stay away from where I was and the people that I was around, and he goes into the details of what life is going to be like when he gets out. And he talks about what he is doing presently by reading the Bible. And he tells me about the scripture that he's reading. And when he writes to me from, from his cell, he is writing about things that are positive and about the strength that he finds there. And he's got his focus on the right place. But I imagine that he is also scared that he has fear and anxiety and the worries of life while he is in there. John is writing from prison, but he is finding comfort and strength in realizing that Christ is still king. He may be in jail. He may be oppressed. He may spend the rest of his days and even be executed there in prison. But Christ is still king. As we think about uh, the verse that we heard earlier, and, and by the way, there's another verse that goes along with this. Uh, he says that there is hope also in knowing that he has made us to be a kingdom. So he's contrasting these two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of Rome that is across the sea. And some scholars say, you know, he could see that on a good day. He could see that there, there was uh, another place. And in that place, there was another kingdom and that kingdom was radically opposed to the kingdom of Jesus. And as he thinks about this, he thinks about, you know, there is another kingdom. There's a kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And he says that we are priests serving 
in that kingdom, pre-serving His God and Father. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He gets caught up in the praise of thinking about what it is like to have a priest and to be a priest. That Jesus came not only to be an intermediary, but He came to establish a, a kingdom of intermediaries. People that would go and bring this kingdom of love into the world. And so he finds comfort in that. But also, we uh, uh, have heard in our scripture this morning about Pilate. That's another reading that was, uh, that was put in there. And this is from, uh, from the Gospel of John. And it takes us to the uh, crucifixion scene, or prior to the crucifixion, where uh, Jesus goes before Pilate. And I, I love this painting. Because you see so much that is going on here. And you see uh, Pilate is pointing to Jesus. And Jesus uh, already has the crown of thorns and he has the robe on. And there is this exchange that is going back and forth. Not only between Jesus and Pilate, but also the crowd. And uh, there's some significant words that are spoken there. But the ones that we heard this morning where Pilate is asking Jesus. Pilate is is not a Jew. And he is saying, your people are saying that you're the king of the Jews. And, of course, that would be an uh, indirect confrontation to Caesar, right? That, uh, okay, if we've got another king here, then we're going to deal with you on a different level. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, in such a brilliant way, he doesn't just give a yes or no answer, Right? As uh, we'll see here in our, our scripture, uh, and if you look back at the, uh, the, the scripture that is there, he goes into uh, a discussion about the kingdom. My kingdom. And he mentions the significance uh, of the kingdom that God has given him to establish. Jesus says, this kingdom is different than anything that you know. It is a kingdom of love. It is a kingdom of grace. It is a kingdom of forgiveness. And so Jesus would go to the cross, he would go to his death, proclaiming and living out the significance of this kingdom. So as we celebrate Christ the King Day, it has great significance for our lives and the things that go on, the things that don't go on, that we could look to a Jesus who has come to establish his kingdom, not only for our world, but for our lives. If Pilate were to come here today, we'd probably all beat him up, right? <laughs> I mean, if he were to walk in here today. But if Pilate were to come and he were to ask you about Jesus, and he were to say to you, is, is Jesus the king? What would you say? If he were to say, is Jesus your king? Would you be able to give a clear answer to that? What does it mean for Jesus to be the king of your life? We don't have kings here as Americans. We, we really despise them. I mean, that's a part of our DNA as a nation. We just, we didn't want a king. We wanted to be freed from the oppression, especially of a king who was uh, taxing us and uh, you know, doing all kinds of horrible things. And so we wanted to throw off all of the oppression of that king. And so we didn't, we didn't want one. We wanted to have a democracy that was run by the people, for the people. And uh, we value that. 
But we also recognize as Christians, as people who are trying to follow in the way of Christ, that we can't do that on our own. We can't live for God in this world by ourselves. We need a leader. We need a Lord. We're going to have uh, Baptism Sunday on December the 6th. And uh, one of the, the great ancient confessions of that um, is to say that Jesus is my Lord. And when someone says that, when, when they say Jesus is my Lord, it is a statement that goes completely against Caesar. Because what they would do is go to the Christians and say, uh, you must say that Caesar is your Lord or you can die. I mean, we'll execute you. Because there can only be one Lord. And so, so many Christians would become martyrs because they would say, no, Jesus is my Lord. And so baptism is a pronouncement. It is a profession of one's faith to say, there is no one else that is going to lead my life. There is no one else that's going to call the shots for what I do with my life than Jesus. And really, the biggest part of that is taking ourselves off of the throne of our own lives to say that I am my own worst enemy. And when left to my own uh, devices, when, when I'm controlling my life, I mess it up. But when I allow Jesus to be king of my life, then there are some wonderful things that are going to happen. And one of those, of course, is that we come to the recognition that Jesus is the one who loves us the most and wants to guide us into the truth of our existence, of understanding that, that we can have purpose in this life and that we don't have to be confused about who we are and what it is that we're to be doing. And even more, we don't have to have fear. We all have fear, don't we? Whether it's fear about terrorism or fear about how we're going to pay the bill next week or fear about... Uh, something that goes on in our relationships. We don't have to have fear. But we do, don't we? Think about this past week. Where was your fear? Sometimes I wake up in the morning with fear. Just, you know, a weird thought. You think about something you've got to do during the day and it's a fear about, am I going to be able to get it done? I have, as a pastor or a preacher... I have fears. It's a recurring nightmare that I have. That, uh, and it always relates. I've talked about this before. I need to see a therapist about this. Uh, about being asked to go to my home church where I grew up and was called to ministry. And it's a big church, or at least it, it was when I was uh, growing up. And, uh, and that I'm, I'm like running. You know how it is to run in your dream and you can't get anywhere? Nod your head so that I'm not crazy. Yeah. And you're, you're running, but you can't get anywhere. And I'm trying to get to church on time. And I have to preach. And I don't have a sermon. So as I'm trying to run there, I'm recognizing I don't have a sermon. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? And then I get up there and I'm fumbling around. I'm trying to come up with something to say. And then I have that uh, terrible thing where I can't find the scripture that I'm supposed to be reading. And I'm looking and I can't find it and have to look in the table of contents, which is the absolute <laughs> worst thing for someone who has been trained in seminary to find Zephaniah, page such and such. Fear. But we wake up with these fears, or we, we live with fear, and fear will cripple you, won't it? 
Where does fear come from? It doesn't come from God. It comes from all different places, but it does not come from God. Go through your Bible sometime the next time you feel fear and uh, look through and count how many times either an angel or Jesus or uh, some other messenger of God is saying what? Fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. Or fear not, your God is faithful. There's so many references, so many exhortations to experience the peace and the security of a king who loves you. I love the quote that uh, is here by D.L. Moody on the front of our bulletin. Death may be the king of terrors, but Jesus is the king of kings. You see the contrast that's there? On this Christ the King Sunday, we need to know that. But we also need to know that we have been called to be a part of God's kingdom. That we are to be those not only who are experiencing the reality of living without fear, but to understand that we are called to share that with other people. And John from prison is calling people to become a kingdom of priests. You get to be a priest. We're going to get white collars for everybody. But think about it as you go out in this next week. You're a priest. What is a priest? A priest is a go-between. A priest is an intermediary. Or a priest is a vessel that God uses to be able to pass on grace and forgiveness or a message from God. And you may not feel worthy to be a priest, but God has made you worthy in Jesus Christ. And He has said, I want you to go out to work tomorrow. I want you to go to school. I want you to go out and talk to veterans. I want you to go and uh, share with people who are in need. I want you to do all of this as my priests. Because this is what my kingdom is all about. Think about the difference it would make in your life. Think about the difference it would make in our world if you were to recognize you as being a key part of the kingdom of God. This very different kind of kingdom. There's another quote that's on the inside of the bulletin from C.S. Lewis. He talks about, he says, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. Sounds good, right? We get to be a part of sabotage. It's a positive kind of sabotage. Because we are proclaiming that there is a different way to live. We are proclaiming love instead of hate. We are proclaiming peace instead of violence. We are proclaiming freedom rather than confinement and oppression. We are proclaiming the truth and reality of God in our world. Think about the difference this makes if we were to all live this out in our world in this next week. Think about the difference that love can make in your relationships, in the problems that you deal with, the people in your neighborhood who just cause all kinds of trouble. 
the people who live far away from us, who are full of hate and want to dispose of all of us. Think about the difference that love can make. Think about the progress we can make as a human race. It seems like we are devolving into uh, our Neanderthal selves, right? Some of us debate that, whether or not we were really all near. I used to say Neanderthals, but I was corrected by somebody in here uh, not long ago. that It's Neanderthals. But we sometimes act like that, don't we? And uh, we, we operate out of uh, the, the uh, lizard part of our brains and, and we seek to destroy one another and hate one another and it becomes a tribal kind of thing where we're, we're going to uh, take down you if you're competing with us. But that's not how God has called us to live. He created us to be people of love and peace of partnership and collaboration in this world. Think about the progress we can make if we recognize, if we do things the way Jesus our King did them while He lived in this world, we can make a radical difference. As we get ready to get into this season of Advent, we're going to talk a lot about peace. We're going to talk about how the prophets longed for peace. Jesus came to establish peace. Why aren't any of his followers doing anything about it? There's a lot that's being said right now about ISIS and uh, some articles that have come out, a recent one in The Atlantic, and um, some others are picking up, trying to find out what is it that ISIS really wants. Because they're able to get young people even people in America and in Great Britain and other places who have grown up in middle-class families or even in rich families to leave all of that and to, to go over to Syria and become a part of ISIS. And you think, why in the world would anyone want to do that? And you look at some of the claims that they're making and the, the propaganda that ISIS puts out. They are advertising and marketing better than, than uh, anybody else, saying, if you will come and join us, then you're going to have all of this stuff, and you're going to have all of this wealth, and you're going to have power, and uh, we've got jobs, and I mean, all kinds of stuff that they're advertising. Of course, that's just in their earthly existence. If you go blow yourself up, then you'll have um, all of this as soon as you get to heaven, um, you know, you'll have a feast and virgins and, and all this other stuff if you'll just join us. And the sad thing is that when these kids join this organization, they are discovering it's all a lie. But they can't get out of it. Isn't that so different from the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about? He never coerced anyone. He never sold someone something that didn't exist. He just said, whoever will come and follow, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And if you do, we will change the world. Do you believe Christ is your King? Let's pray.